Welcome to the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski and your host for the podcast. The Recovery Executive Podcast is the only podcast geared towards owners, executives, and directors in the field of addiction treatment. We cover everything on the cutting edge, everything from operations. Today we are talking about call centers, which I'm very excited. I know that call centers and admission staff and training is always a challenge for centers. As usual, the Recovery Executive Podcast is brought to you by Circle Social Inc., growth experts within the space of addiction treatment, uh, everything from marketing to admissions, operational efficiencies, CRM implementation, anything and everything that you need, not just to build inquiries and grow your census, but do it in a way that is sustainable, responsible, ethical, and successful. Uh, Charlie Masilo is the Senior Executive of Business Development. He is now at Magnolia Ranch Recovery, but he has truly worked all over in the field at centers both big and small, You know, being on the owner of a smaller treatment center himself, to working with some of the biggest names in the space and helping them build out their call centers, their operational follow-ups, anything and everything that deals with admissions and admit generation. Uh, the conversation I had with him was absolutely fascinating. I'm uh, really interested to see people's feedback on this because he brought up some surprising information in terms of what centers should be doing and how to do it the right way compared to what many centers might be doing now. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Hey, Char, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to have you on today. I mean, you've got some amazing experience in this field. And so this is, I think, going to be a fascinating conversation for a lot of our listeners, um, just based on so much of what you've done and the length of time you've been in there. So can you just kind of give us a little bit of background? You know, you've been in and out of the recovery space since 1999. You know, what, what have you been doing? What have changes have you seen? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, the industry, you know, like you know, any other industry, is constantly changing. Uh, but some of the most dramatic changes have come in the past few years, which you know I'm sure most people are aware of. You know, the cost of acquisition, you know, for leads has skyrocketed. I remember back in 2011, our average cost of acquisition for a multimedia lead was you know about 1,500 or less, and a thousand or less for a business development lead. Now you see cost of acquisitions are seven or eight thousand or even higher. Uh, the risks associated with different lead sources has also significantly increased, which for the most part is a good thing, meaning it's become a lot more regulated. Uh, the amounts of the money the insurance companies reimburse have gone down on average, and the length of time to collect, especially with smaller facilities, has increased, which you know creates a working capital problem for some small treatment centers, even if they are retaining a good sentence, uh, excuse me, census. Of course, the issues within the treatment industry, especially in South Florida, have become you know absolutely crazy over the last few years. You know, with all the sober you know houses, you know, the prostituting of clients, people being paid off to attend treatment centers, are just a couple of examples. You know, some of the South Florida markets. I've seen that in other markets too, especially in um, in California, but not to the amount as you know South Florida. Um, I've also seen the industry, to, you know, continue to become more and more, you know, unfortunately, more and more unethical over the years. Um, a good friend who's very well known in the industry told me a couple of years ago that they wanted to get out of the treatment industry because of all the unethical people in the industry. And I remember telling him at the time that of all the people with ethics got out of the industry because of that, there would be no one left with, you know, with ethics in the industry to help those in need, which is why I decided to stay in. 
the changes now from the task forces are, you know, a big step in the right direction. I've seen the same thing happen in other industries, like insurance, et cetera. And in the next couple of years, you know, we will see a lot more changes and a lot of companies going out of business. But the ones doing it right, you know, will continue to, you know, to last. Um, my perspective on the industry has also changed, you know, from position to position over the years. I started off in 1999 as a case manager, group facilitator, and counselor at the Addictions Receiving Facility in the Juvenile Assessment Center in Orlando while doing my intern for my master's in clinical social work with substance abuse as my specialty. I've also overseen inside, you know, missions, call centers, outreach teams, VOB teams, UR, billing departments, the techs, the clinical directors, medical directors, et cetera. You know, I've been VP, CEO, CEO, and partner for different companies. So I've really worked in almost every department in the industry at one time or another, which has given me a lot of insight into the industry as a whole from every single angle. So you've worked in a wide variety of roles in a lot of different treatment centers. Can you tell us about which roles or experiences in centers you really like the most? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the two positions I probably would have enjoyed the most, um, you know, would be, you know, would, you know, the treatment solution network days. Um, you know, we were very successful back then. We had a great company. Um, you know, the company really worked together, you know, as a family. Everybody enjoyed, what they, you know, what we were doing. You know, we saved a lot of lives, you know, um, you know, were successful, made good money, you know, made good friends, lasting relationships. Um, and that company turned in, you know, eventually turned into American Addiction Centers. Um, and the other one would probably be one I'm, you know, currently working now, uh, Magnolia Ranch Recovery. Just started representing them about a month ago, mainly because I was just very impressed with their, you know, their clinical program. Um, you know, their four to one, you know, uh, therapist to client ratio um, and just, you know, the entire team is, is a very much a family like environment, you know, which I haven't seen in a lot of other treatment centers before. So it's um, it's a great place to work. But those two um, definitely stand out. So I've learned something, you know, in every single one of my positions. But those two definitely stand out as the, as the two that have been the most, um, you know, professionally uh, satisfying, you know, so to say. In your time in the field, there has been a ton of changes, right? I mean, I think there were so few providers when we first started off, and now there's so many. And then there's been, of course, a huge shift in the laws and the way that centers are allowed to operate, they're allowed to market, you know, especially in Florida. I think a lot of this has been a good thing, but there's also challenges, right? So now the ways that centers used to operate are no longer viable. Um, they're relying on tactics that they can't use anymore, and this has been a big challenge and a big shift. And then you look at some laws and, you know, it's kind of like almost makes it harder for the patient as well. So, for example, you know, you can't pay for plane tickets, but maybe that patient really needs help. Right. And that's the only way they're going to get to the treatment. So, you know, can you kind of talk about some of those changes? You know, and that's it's a really good question. And, and, and you know, most of, for the most part, I think, you know, the laws changing and being more regulated is definitely a good thing. You know, there was a lot of, you know, you know, bad elements, you know, obviously in the industry. Um, you know, but sometimes, you know, some of the, the laws do make it harder even to do the right or, you know, right or ethical thing. You know, for example, you know, you, you can't do plane tickets and stuff anymore. But if you have a client, you know, who is, you know, really in need of help and is a life or death situation and, you know, they have insurance, but they can't afford the flight, you know, not being able to you know help them out with the flight and get them into treatment, you know, could end up costing them their, their lives. So, you know, there's a lot of times where, you know, you have to be really careful because you want to make sure that, you know, you're doing the best, you know, for the client, 
you know, and putting the client's, you know, best interest first, but at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to do anything that's, you know, going to get you or yourself, you know, you or your company into, you know, legal problems. So just, you know, being, you know, constantly informed on all the, you know, the law changes, keeping up the date on the law changes, making sure that, you know, everyone in your company is aware of them, you know, that you have policies and procedures in place to prevent those kind of things. Um, and, you know, you're prepared to deal with those things on the front end, you know, you can still keep your senses, you know, very high and make sure that you're staying, you know, still staying within the walls. So. Another challenge a lot of centers get into is staff training. Obviously, a lot of staff don't even know the laws. Um, some centers don't provide that training for them. You know, and then so centers find out that maybe a marketer that they hired, an agency that they hired, or internal staff are doing the wrong thing, not because they want to, but because they don't know the law. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, if it comes to down to training and knowing, you know, the, the different laws and regulations, but, you know, and the marketing has definitely become, you know, a bigger challenge, you know, in, in a market that's become, you know, every day more and more saturated. Um, but, you know, again, I think, you know, sticking to your principles, making sure that you're doing things the ethical way, you know, um, is going to be not only the right thing to do, but it's also better business. You know, if you treat, you know, your, your you know, clients correctly, you know, your employees are going to be happier, you know, that the clients are going to be treated correctly, you know, you're going to have a better company. You know, if you're able to scholarship people here and there or make sure people are taken care of, you know, your referral sources are, are going to, you know, look at you and send you more referrals and look at you in, in a better light. So doing the right thing, you know, or doing the ethical thing is not just the right thing to do in this industry, but I strongly believe that it also makes you more successful as well. So it's a win-win. I would definitely agree with that. You know, I think what's really important when you're looking at all this kind of stuff is personalizing your outreach and getting people to really understand who you are and what you guys excel at. And because so many centers, what they do is they do very generic in their outreach where it's like, you know, we're this, we're that, but there's no personalization in terms of seeing real alumni or seeing real staff. And I think when you make that shift and that turning point, it's just hugely beneficial in terms of the response you get from the community. No, I, I you know, agree, you know, agree completely. And, uh, you know, just, you know, working and helping build some of, you know, the larger, you know, treatment facilities out there, you know, it's, um, you know, really definitely added to, you know, my experience, you know, or experiences that I've had in the industry. Um, you know, I started off as part of the senior management team for Treatment Solutions Network in 2011. You know, I ran the assessment and placement departments as well as the support departments and contributed to most decisions made by senior management. And we all worked closely together, you know, as a team. They were such an amazing company to work with and more like family. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I really look forward to going to work every day and there's not too many places, you know, that we can say that about. Um, you know, TSN was definitely, you know, very successful and the owners, you know, Jim Bevel and Michael Blackburn, you know, sold it to Michael Cartwright, who, you know, merged it with Jared Men's facilities, call centers and turned it to American Diction Centers. And that was a very exciting time for the energy, you know, for the industry and being part of the senior management team at TSN and AAC. You know, several years ago, had a lot of perks that made the job fun as well. And they certainly, did, you know, took good care of us. You know, I also took over running the call centers and the missions uh, for Jared Men's California call centers, as well as the new AAC call centers in Nashville and, and part of their operations. Um, I was promoted to senior vice president, but they wanted me to relocate to Nashville. And unfortunately, you know, my father was sick and dying at the time. So I had to turn down the position and stay in South Florida. But, you know, I was proud to be a part of such an amazing company and see the success it has grown into. And I still keep in touch with several good friends who work there. And, you know, we still, you know, in this industry, you know, your competitors are frequently, you know, your, you know, your friends as well. You know, the amount of beds we had, you know, grew, you know, grew significantly and we had an incredible team of inside and outside reps. 
Uh, some of the reps had, you know, worked for me at a few companies before. So I recruited the best from the best, you know, out of my network. And most of them are still running, you know, a lot of the companies in this, in, you know, in the industry today. Um, I also brought over quite a few of the best from TSN and AAC on board with me at Sovereign Health Group when I took over running uh, their admissions and operations. And a few years ago, I created a model of a team and implemented that. And that company grew significantly while I worked there. I ended up resigning, you know, from that company for personal reasons because they were headed, you know, in a different direction than I wanted to go. But, you know, I'm still friendly with most of the people there. But, you know, some of the highlights, I'd say, you know, working with some of the bigger companies, you know, working very closely you know, with Jim Bevel, Jared Manns, Michael Carwright, Pharma, you know, who were some of the pioneers or leaders in the industry during the crime was, you know, definitely a very educational experience um, and, and, you know, great personal growth for myself. And I built some great lasting relationships by doing so that. Um, I've also managed, you know, and own parts of, you know, smaller treatment companies. And there's a lot of pros and cons of both. You know, A&C and Sovereign had so many moving parts with, you know, high call volume and emissions. It was very fast-paced and exciting and you knew you were saving lives, which is an incredible feeling and my favorite part, you know, being in the industry. But, you know, I didn't have, you know, as much client interaction working mainly, you know, from the corporate offices and from home. You know, the smaller treatment centers, I had a lot more client interaction. It's awesome to talk to people before they come in, while they're there, and even after they leave, just to see how much they've changed and that inner joy or glow so many of them have. It's a blessing to be able to touch so many lives. It's also harder to see the ones that you've developed close relationships with, you know, relapse or especially OD, you know, something that, you know, you never get used to. You see a lot more of that in the South Florida area, but obviously the opiate epidemic, you know, opiate epidemic is, you know, everywhere in the industry. You know, my heart feels heavily for the community here in South Florida all the time that I'm still a part of, but in some ways it is refreshing to be working, you know, now for a facility in Tennessee that is secluded up in the mountains on 100 acres and just doesn't have any of the problems you see with the South Florida shuffle or the high MA rates. I really enjoy being able to have at least some client interaction and be a part of brightening their day. Sometimes I just do that indirectly by inspiring my team to do so, but there's no greater feeling of success than to see a client a few years after they went through a program you helped them with, get back on their feet and be successful, and often they're married and have a new career, and to me, that's by far the most rewarding part, or most rewarding part of the job and, and why I do what I do. You know, I've also been consulting for a lot of other companies you know, in the industry as well, um, so you know, I've really helped you know, and people kind of you know, build up those systems to Still make sure you keep your senses high while, you know, again, following the proper ethics and the proper laws. And again, by doing so, that's, you know, really where, you know, I feel you bring the most success. So, you know, you've worked for a lot of big treatment centers, but you've also had that experience with the smaller ones. If you're a smaller treatment center that's maybe their senses is dropping, like a lot of them have been lately, you know, where would you say they should be focusing their efforts in order to, you know, hopefully get some short-term gains, but then also prepare themselves for that long-term sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the most important things, obviously, is having the right people in place. You know, you have to have, you know, the right people with the right experience, you know, in the right positions. You know, you got to make sure you've got a solid, you know, marketing plan in place, you know, both short-term, you know, sometimes, you know, short-terms, you know, you might have to buy, you know, some calls and there's some, you know, good places to do so with that. Although the cost of calls, you know, is always going up and the, and the, the, the conversion rates always seem to be going down. But, you know, there's still calls that you can get to help you, you know, in the short term, if you're small in your treatment center, you know, having the right reps, you know, out in the field representing the company correctly, you know, your business development reps, your outreach reps, you know, they're going to help too. 
Um, although most of them take, you know, a couple months to get up and running, you know, and the long-term goal, you know, is really just having a very solid SEO plan in place and, you know, just getting your name out and, and doing proper branding. But that's definitely one of the biggest challenges that I've seen, you know, facing, um, you know, some of the smaller treatment centers. Um, you know, one of the other biggest, you know, is by far is the cost of do business, the amount of money needed to spend in marketing, call center leads, business development, et cetera, goes up significantly every year. Uh, even five years ago, it wasn't hard to find business development reps that could bring in 25 to 30 clients a month. But now three to five seems to be the average, and the superstars are doing 10 at that. Cost of PPC has skyrocketed, and the closing percentages for calls every year seems to go down, but the prices go up. Add to that the amounts of reimbursements from the insurance companies in general are not as high as they once were. A lot of treatment centers just simply won't be able to afford to stay in business, you know, if they don't have a very solid marketing plan, great, you know, great budget, and a very solid clinical program, and of course, great employees. Uh, there are more companies that are struggling because they don't know how to do it right or lost their lead sources with the patient brokering laws, et cetera. It's why any professional in the industry really has to be careful who they work for, who they refer to, and who, even who they receive referrals from. You know, I had to do a lot of research on the company and the staff before I even consider taking a position. You know, you really these days especially have to be very careful of who you align yourself with. You know, your reputation is everything, you know, in this industry. Uh, another big challenge that um, I've seen is um, a lot of insurance companies delaying reimbursement rates longer than before can cause a cash flow problem, especially for the smaller facilities, even with a good census. You know, if you have, a, you know, if you're starting out and you've got, you know, 10, 15 beds and, you know, 11 of your beds are filled, but, you know, your your billing is, you know, three, six months behind, you know, based on your billing, how you're getting it done. Sometimes that can cause, you know, a cash flow you know, issue for those smaller treatment centers. Um, so it's very important, you know, that any, you know, treatment center understand that, you know, before going into it. Um, another challenge I've seen is making sure you keep up with and abide carefully to all the laws like we've talked about and the ethics in the industry. Um, you know, the patient brokering and task for laws has made doing business more risky, even though that, you know, they're making improvements, you know, you have to be very careful, you know, these days more than ever. Um, even the well-intended, if they don't keep, you know, up with laws and are familiar with all the current laws, they could easily break one trying to do the right thing without even knowing it. You know, I think it is great that they're regulating the industry and getting rid of some of the very bad elements. Uh, it's long overdue, but it can create additional challenge for even an honest and ethical company. It's a price worth paying to, you know, to help cut back, you know, the horrible things that certain companies are doing, though. But you also have to be ready, you know, to really do your due diligence and look closely at who you do business with in the industry. They may come across as great and honest and ethical person, but they could be doing something shady that you can get involved with unknowingly. So if you want to closely check out any treatment centers, you know, that you refer to your clients to or any that are referring clients to you as well, because that's part of, you know, your brand image, you know, as well as making sure that, you know, you're, you know, staying out of jail. Um, finding the right employees is a big challenge to a lot of centers. Your, your mission, the business development, therapists, your techs, everyone has to be the right fit. It can be very hard to find good, loyal, skillful, and ethical employees for really in this to help people. But when you do, you have to treat them right to make sure they stay around. Having a great leader and company culture is key. So it's having core values at the center of your culture that you base your hiring and firing decisions on in addition to your qualifications professionally. I think that's probably one of the most key things for, you know, treatment centers to have in place if they want to make sure that they're really aligning their daily duties and, you know, every scope of the job, you know, to those core values and, you know, sticking to, you know, what's what was important in the industry, you know, which is putting the client first. Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, finding key people is is key. 
you, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure you're on LinkedIn connected to a lot of people in the industry like I am. And you see people moving jobs around all the time. It's always like this person's got a new job. This person's got a new job. And they're always moving to a different treatment center. <laughs> you know, it's, it's rare. that. Yeah. And up. that, you know, that can happen, especially, you know, uh, you know, I was reading an article the other day, which, you know, seems to be about accurate that the average, you know, outside market you know, has a six to 12 months, you know, turnover, you know, they're, they're, most of the positions only last six to 12 months, you know, and there, there's reasons for that. You know, people come on board with big salaries, you know, they say they can produce and, you know, then they don't. But on the other hand, you know, treatment centers have to realize that even if somebody has a lot of experience, you know, when they come on board, you know, those, you know, their previous clients are usually already working with somebody else. You know, you, a lot of times you have, you know, not can't go back to those clients. You know, either way, your rep has to rebrand themselves and make new connections, you know, when they come on board, you know, which can take up to 60 or 90 days. So, again, you know, having that proper expectation ahead of time, knowing that you're going to be paying those big salaries out for a few, you know, for a few months before you see results is important. And, you know, once you get somebody on board, I think one of the, you know, main mistakes that, you know, a lot of companies make is, you know, letting the person go before actually taking the time to invest in training and everything else with them because, Make, taking a good employee and turning them into a great employee and retaining them is going to be much cheaper for you than having that high turnover rate. You know, that, you know, in the long run, that usually costs a lot more, you know, expenses to the company. Right. I mean, we see that constantly, you know, even on our end. I mean, most of the calls we get are for some kind of like magic bullet, right? They want somehow admissions to just turn on in some flood where it's like, oh, let's turn on the, you know, the admissions tap and then they'll just start yeah. coming and they'll turn it back off. You know, and this this just not a reality out there. And but they're often in the death throes of their center because their census has been down for so long. They're just trying, you know, kind of grasping at straws, and they'll jump to like one marketer or one marketing agency, you know, for a month. And if it doesn't get them, you know, their census doubled. Then they go to someone else who can't do it. Then they go to someone else who can't do it. You know, and so like you're saying, you've always got to have and that starting over every time. Yeah, every time. Yeah, starting over every time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, not building it up. So that's why it's very important, you know, to, to pick the right company in the first place, you know, or the right person, you know, and stick with them because, you know, that kind of turnover, you know, is certainly going to help you and hurt you, you know, even in a bigger company, but, you know, especially in, in a smaller one, you know. Um, some of the other, you know, ways that I've seen or advice that I can give to overcome some of those challenges, you know, educating, you know, education and training. Um, and the more of it, the better. It's important to stay educated and up to speed on the new laws as well as the trends in the industry. Training for all departments should be at least weekly, and, you know, at the very minimum, whether it's the clinical director working with the therapist to become better, you know, uh, documenting notes or working with the admissions team on how to handle difficult calls. Every person in every department should be training continuously, whether it's a small center or a huge one. Having someone who has a lot of experience training specifically for the industry is important to find. Um, it's also important for you know owners, as I mentioned earlier, especially investors who are not familiar with the industry, to understand just how expensive marketing and getting licensing, et cetera, is, and knowing how long it can take till you start getting a good census, and after that, how long it takes to get paid on it. They need a consultant who's familiar with the industry to work with them on a marketing budget, operating expenses, how to project cash flow and income in this very unique industry, and most importantly, you know, just how much cash is needed to fund the center for the first year or two. It needs to be self-sufficient on supporting payroll, marketing, and future expansion, and having those proper expectations before opening a center is just as important as setting the proper expectations for your clients and employees. Just like everything else in life, there are too many people rushing into opening centers 
without the proper expectations or understanding of the industry, just looking to make a quick buck. And those are the ones that never last. I mean, this is a great industry to be in because if you do it right, you can make you know good money and save lives. And there's nothing better than being able to do that. But, you know, it definitely takes, you know, time and, you know, planning and, you know, a lot of capital. This is, you know, one of the most expensive industries to get involved with, especially as a new company. You know, you, you keep talking about the education and training and something I think that I've seen, you know, consistently when we're doing center visits is the need for the sales and admission team training. You know, we get a lot of people that, are not the best on the phone. You've done a lot of this kind of training, you know, particularly in a call center environment. What what tips do you have for creating an outstanding admissions team? Great question. Um, one, you know, starting off, you know, be the best company to work for. If you know, if you are, you attract the top talent. You won't even have to go looking for them. They'll come to you if you get the reputation of always taking care of your employees and being a stable company to work for. Happy employee, you know, happy employees gets you, you know, more happy clients, and happy clients makes everyone happy. But it's also important to make sure you hire an outstanding admissions director and our VP is key that really flows from the top down. It's important to have someone who's very good and has a lot of extensive training and experience for admissions in this industry. This is not like any other sales or regular sales techniques are not what are going to help. It's good to find someone who may already have a network of great reps who they have worked with in the past that would not have to start at the ground zero, having reps who actually care on the phones and have a heart for helping those struggling with addictions is also important to have. If you are really good, you can even do a virtual team and have it run more efficiently than a call center. And without the overhead, you just have to make sure you have the right key, you know, KPIs and tracking metrics and stuff in place. Um, I've had a lot of success doing that. Uh, another advantage of having, you know, a remote call center is it, you're not limited by geographical um, you know, regions to be able to retain, you know, top talent. So if you've got, you know, a couple of people that, you know, you've worked for before who may live in different states now, you know, adding them on as a remote team to take calls so you can still have that top talent on board can also be very helpful. And again, you know, just, um, you know, uh, um, you know, you need to ensure that, you know, you're doing have those right KPIs in place, you know, and metrics in place, whether it's a physical call center or a remote call center. And again, training, training and more training. Um, you know, I've always done at least 90 minutes of group training and 30 minutes of one-on-one training week for everyone in my admissions department. Uh, that training should include training from the clinical team, you are, and extensive training on how to handle calls and, and fill out the pre-assessments, et cetera. I've developed industry-specific training materials to yield, still used today by several major players in the industry. And having a great pre-assessment and knowing how to use it will be one of your most effective contributors to your assess. You literally have someone's life on the line and how you handle that call could be the difference between life and death for someone. So it takes really careful screening and core values and the right company culture to really make the admissions team strive. It takes a trainer who listens to calls all day long and takes notes on each person of their strengths and weaknesses and then, then helps them develop personally accordingly. Also, your admission teams need to be very aware of just how serious these calls are. But at the same time, you have to have a company people enjoy working for and you can have some fun at work too. I do a lot of training uh, challenges with awards. Each training class, I give them a little homework assignment to work on while they're on their calls, an award, you know, for the top person completing the assignment during that week. Uh, the reward could be as little as letting them leave 30 minutes early on a Friday or something bigger for greater achievements. Teaching them techniques and training and then creating awards from implementing what they've learned after training, you know, on their calls is key. Really, you know, the core values are key. And having a company where you can make your hiring and firing decisions based on these values, in addition to production, and ingrain them so much into your cultural that every, 
culture that everyone knows them and lives them constantly. Uh, people always work better when you can inspire them to work for something greater than themselves. We've always had our employee of the month based on who lived the core values of the month, you know, peer selected. This job can also be hard on the admission teams too. They hear sad and nightmarish stories sometimes on the phone all day long. Sometimes they feel great, you know, um, you know, lost when they help, you know, and they, sometimes they feel great when they help save a life and other times they are sad when one was lost, even though they tried as much as possible. They still have to take those things personally and hard sometimes. Um, it can definitely be emotionally draining you know, industry at times when you really care for your clients. So I think it's good to have an administ- you know, to have an admissions leader who always has his door open to let the reps event, you know, when they need to or shoulder to cry on. While those little interruptions may be annoying sometimes to people during the day, you know, when you're very busy um, and you're running from one meeting to another, but just a couple minutes here and there to let them know you care and that they're important is critical to success. I mean, I've, you know, had a lot of reps on the phone, you know, they call a client, they're talking to the client, they're on the phone with the client for an hour, the client's on the fence about, you know, coming into treatment, you know, and they let them off the phone, you know, you know, and say they'll fall back with them the next day, you know, they reach them a day or two later and found out the person died or overdosed. Uh, unfortunately, I've heard that too many times. And, you know, that's why it's really important to make sure that, you know, it's, you know, you don't want to be pushy on the phone with clients, but at the same time, you have to have sort of a tough love because if you let them off that call without making sure that they get into treatment somewhere, whether it's you or someplace else, you know, you, that person may not get another chance. So, I mean, it's really important that, you know, your mission team understands that, is trained for that, and, you know, both, you know, for both the good and the bad that goes along. Well, I think that's something a lot of centers struggle with is that call time, you know, and based on your experience, what do you recommend as the amount of time a rep should be spending on the phone with someone? Ideally, um, about 45 minutes, you know, it, you know, ideally the, to me, the, you know, the, pro- the process is going to work best is, you know, the person calls in, you know, you get their, you know, insurance information on the phone, you send it over to your VOP team, you know, you go through, you know, the pre-assessments, you know, the pre-assessment's going to do a lot of things. It's going to get them to open up on the phone, talk about their issues, talk about the problems, and they're basically selling themselves, you know, into coming into treatment. You know, they're talking about why they need to come in. And at the same time, them opening up to you on the phone and telling you all those stories, maybe crying, you know, sharing those things with you, building up that rapport, they're less likely to turn around and, you know, call another treatment center right afterwards. And if you do things properly, you know, and plus, you know, all that, you know, the pre-assessment is going to give you, you know, up from the very beginning with, you know, for the clinical team and the UR, it's going to give them, you know, better notes, better understanding. It's going to get you longer lengths of stays and everything. But at the same time, you know, if your VOB team is good, you know, by the time you finish the pre-assessment, you know, you have the verifications of benefits back, you know, and you can then, you know, on that first call, either, you know, go ahead and book, you know, transportation, you know, help them book transportation into coming into the facility, or at least get off the phone with them, letting them know exactly, you know, what their costs and everything are going to be associated with it. You know, one of the things I've heard, you know, from some companies that I've taken over or, you know, consulting work that I've done, you know, with different call centers, as you know, you know, you hear it too many times where, you know, a rep answers the phone, they get, they get, they take the person's insurance information and they say, okay, I'll call you back when we get the verification of the benefits. And then, you know, you may never hear from or reach that person again. And since you didn't spend any time with them, you only spend five minutes on them, you know, on the phone with them, they're going to turn around and call two or three other treatment centers to get quotes as well. And then it comes about price and about quotes and it never should be about that. You know, the majority of the conversation should be focused on why they need treatment, why they need help. And then after that, 
you know, then you throw in, you know, the information about, you know, your facility and why it's a good fit. And, you know, and then maybe mention some of the amenities, you know, like the nice swimming pools or hot tubs. But, you know, if you're if you're a rep on the phone and, you know, you're trying to sell the amenities and the hot tub, you know, and the, and the pools and those kind of things, you know, the client's not really focused on what's most important. And that's their treatment. You know, so establishing that from the very beginning is, is, is key, you know, to both the success of your mission teams as well as the success of your, your clients when they come in. Yeah, I think that gets lost a lot. A lot of people kind of fall into this assumption that for some reason the amenities is why people come to treatment, and it's not. You know, I mean, if you make it about that, then it's going to become about that. But if you handle those calls right, if you handle your outreach right, even the way you set up your website, you know, so it's focused on the treatment aspect and not your, your pools and your luxury rooms, you're going to get a different kind of client and you're going to have a different kind of experience once you get them in the center. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I could not have said it better myself. I mean, setting those kind of expectations is key. And if you have them coming in for the amenities, they're not there, you know, focused on treatments and they're not going to get as much out of it. You know, the amenities should be the last thing. It should almost be an afterthought on the phone. You have to, while you're booking transportation. Oh, by the way, you know, bring your swimming suit because we have a great pool on hot tub. You know, it should not be the selling point to get them into treatments. You know, you know, what's going on in their lives, you know, what's going to, you know, happen if they continue going down the path that they're going to, you know, you know, is what you really need to get them looking at, you know, as you know, two pictures really, you know, what, what, what path is going to happen if they continue going down the road they're headed without getting into treatments and what, you know, what their life is going to look at, you know, 30, 60, 90, 100, you know, uh, you know, a year from now, if they do go into treatment. You know, and that's that's really key is getting you know a person to see both pictures, you know, because then they're not thinking about, you know, you know, the oh, I got to go spend 30 days in treatments. You know, they're thinking about, you know, what, you know, improvements are going to come out of their life after they've already completed the treatment program. And that's those are the ones that are going to have the greatest success. For sure. You know, my, you know, you mentioned that it was 45 minutes was a good amount of time on the call. And I think a lot of center owners would be shocked to hear that. I think they're often shooting for like 10, 15 minutes max. You know, what would you be your response, um, you know, when you got people that are looking for like shorter call times? Well, I mean, you, you can do it in 10, 15 minutes. But again, you know, from years and years of experience, you know, I've definitely found that it's, you know, for more than one reason, you know, having that, you know, longer call, you know, um, you know, about 40, 45 minutes, again, is not only going to get the person, you know, um, you know, more committed to actual treatment themselves, but, you know, you're going to make sure that they're, you know, more than likely they're going to come to you, but you're also getting that verification of benefits back on the phone. So, I mean, you know, um, and if you have the right kind of calls, you know, spending 45 minutes on the phone with somebody is no big deal. That's, that's, you know, really where you need to be putting your time in as the mission process. I mean, obviously you're not going to do that with every client, um, you know, especially if you don't feel like they're going to be a good fit for your facility, you know, um, you know, you're going to want to, you know, spend more like, you know, 10 minutes on the phone with them, you know, get some information from them and then, you know, make sure that, you know, you can, you help, you know, refer them to another facility that can take them. You know, I, I strongly believe, you know, that, you know, if you can't help them, you know, that you shouldn't get off the phone until you find a place, you know, that can, you know, I don't like, you know, leaving anybody out there. I've always had the band, you know, brand promise, you know, that we you know, help everybody that comes to us, you know, if we can't take you at our facility, we'll find one for you. Uh, I know a lot of facilities, you know, especially if they're, you know, paying for a certain duration on their calls, you know, they might try to keep the calls under two minutes. So they don't have to pay for it. You know, they'll just, you know, do some quick screening, find out the person doesn't have good insurance and basically hang up on them. And to me, that's not really, you know, it's not really good business in the long run. And it's certainly not, you know, the most ethical thing. You know, that person took a big step by picking up the phone and reaching out to you. And, you know, chances are they'll probably call somebody else if you get them off the phone in five minutes. But you don't know that. They, that could be their one and only attempt 
you know, to try to fix their lives. So taking, you know, each one of those calls very important, you know, is key, even if you end up paying a little bit more, you know, for the calls. Um, in the long run, again, you know, you're going to get more clients in, you're going to get happier clients. And, um, you know, in the long run, you're going to do much better business because of it. For yeah. sure. You know, I think like you're talking about, you know, admissions, it's not just about staff, but it's also about these processes. You know, we found that you will start building things up and driving 100 calls a day to a center and then they can't handle it, right? Like they don't have the operational capacity to handle that many calls or respond in appropriate timeframes. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of them get overwhelmed. So, you know, in kind of your experience, what strategies do you recommend to have in place to deal with that higher call volume, especially if you're going to be spending 45 minutes on the phone with some of those calls? Yeah, um, great question. I mean, the first step, step is having the proper tools to manage your, you know, inquiries or leads. Uh, for most companies, this is a CRM like Salesforce, Zoho, et cetera, and, you know, or one of the many free ones available for the smaller companies. Uh, it's important to make sure that every call, you know, inquiry is put into the system in real time. You need to adapt a note system that will allow reps to put in notes quickly and in the same format so they can all understand. Uh, that way, one rep can always take off where another one, you know, previously left off like a, you know, like a well-oiled machine. Uh, this makes it a lot easier for second shift to follow up on for first shift and vice versa. Uh, the shift manager should be running reports at the beginning of their shifts uh, based on their status of the inquiry and make sure that all potential rescues that are supposed to be followed up on during that shift are completed. Uh, each inquiry should be assigned a number based on where they are in the process. You know, for example, one being just inquired, two, you did a pre-assessment, three, the view of you is back and completed, et cetera. This way, you know, the shift managers can run reports and properly prioritize which inquiries to follow up on and when. Uh, having a very solid and detailed SOP in place for follow-up is absolutely key. Um, DARP is probably the most widely used uh, note system taking, and that's the one that I prefer, and it's very helpful. Um, it's important to establish how often someone should be called and followed up on as well, which can change on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, for a brand-new inquiry from online, I would usually call it three times a day at different times for three days until I reach someone. And then about every other day for, you know, 11 days approximately or so if I don't. Um, after two weeks, we then, you know, usually put into an old inquiry list, which we would call back, you know, during slow times or touch base with people every month or so unless requested not. So, uh, most people who make, who don't make plans to come in within the first seven days are typically not going to come in. But enough still do that it's good business and good ethics to still check up on them periodically. You know, it might just be that, the, you know, the timing's right for them better in a few weeks from then. Um, this also can depend on the size of your facility and just how many inquiries that, you know, you get. And as long as you make sure every single lead is in your CRM, you have detailed, you know, follow-up protocols in place, um, make sure that, you know, the reps document it properly in the notes and that the managers are checking on it. You should be, you know, good at preventing, you know, any leaks or any, you know, leads, you know, falling into the cracks. Um, I've also typically done bonuses based on individual performance and ones for group performance. This keeps all the reps working together as a team and making sure all the follow-up is completed, you know, and so there are no zero, you know, so there's zero leaks or anyone's falling between the cracks. Um, if you have the right management and procedures in place, there's absolutely no reason why in, any inquiry should not be properly followed up on. Uh, some reps may even feel they are bugging someone at times. That frequently is what it takes to get them into a program and, and save their lives. So, I mean, again, just, you know, very, very important. And again, training your reps which calls, you know, to spend time on and which ones is not important. Um, if you can't help them, you know, make sure they get in touch with someone that can. Um, you just want to make sure that, you know, your you know reps are really handling the calls. Um, you don't you don't want to be overstaffed. It's always you know better to be overstaffed than understaffed. You can always find projects to make their time valuable if they have too much downtime between calls. And the cost of a missed call can be much higher than the cost of extra staff. 
Um, so, you know, I've seen, you know, some companies, they try to, you know, get by with, you know, say maybe, you know, three people on a shift when they should have had four. And, you know, they may not have enough calls, you know, to keep four completely busy, but without the fourth person, they can miss a call that could cost a lot more in business than having that extra person on. You know, so again, being over, you know, you want to be properly staffed, but always being a little overstaffed is better than, you know, running into being overstaffed. Um, another thing, you know, is, you know, um, you know, some, some companies will use a third party, you know, answering services out there that can handle overflows of calls for you. Um, while far from ideal, it's better than a call going to a voicemail. Um, so, I mean, all that stuff is, you know, is all those procedures in place, you know, very important. Um, it's also good for overflow calls, you know, for bigger companies, if they have overflow calls, you know, if they have like, you know, influx of calls, you know, having those calls ring to different, you know, ring group, you know, even if it's somebody in HR, you are, he's just able to pick up the call, you know, and, and keep them engaged until a rep becomes available, um, you know, is helpful. You know, you just, you want to make sure that no matter what that, you know, you don't miss any calls and, and no call should ever go to a voicemail. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, anything that goes to voicemail, I mean, it's, it's pretty much dead in the water, you know, no one's going to respond Yeah, most yeah. of the time. Yeah. And in smaller companies, you know, having everybody from the clinical director to the, to the CEO or the owner, you know, taking overflow of the calls, you know, and being trained on doing so can help, you know, you just, you know, you have your, you know, you want to make sure you have your regular missions people in place and enough that, you know, that they should be able to handle the call volume. But, you know, just as an extra, you know, protection, you know, always want to make sure that you've got some kind of overflow group to, to take those calls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your point on lead follow-up is so important. I mean, it's just critical. Like so many centers will just expect the calls to come in and convert, which is, you know, a very small percentage really at the end of the day. It's your follow-up that leads to a large amount of your admissions. And so if you don't have a really clear follow-up in place, you know, or if you're losing a lot of inquiries through the cracks because one person didn't follow up and they thought the other person would, it just becomes uh, a mess and, and you end up, you end up losing a lot of admissions and a lot of people out there that needed help didn't get it. Absolutely. And another way that, you know, you can prevent that again is, you know, if you have somebody, you know, the first shift person talks to somebody and, you know, they want to call back later that night and, you know, you don't want that rep, you know, who's on that first shift waiting for the next day to call them back. You know, you want somebody on the second shift, you know, to call them back. And, you know, most CRMs will allow you to put in a reminder. So when the, you know, the, the, the first shift person should put in a reminder that it's automatically set up. It pops up for somebody else to give them a call during the second shift. And if you put those kind of, you know, procedures, you know, in place, um, you know, you can make it, you know, pretty foolproof that you'll never have a missed call. For sure. You know, I'm interested, you mentioned Salesforce and I find that, I don't know, maybe it's just because it tends to be what people are using in the industry, but we'll find even a lot of smaller centers running Salesforce, which I guess I've always found strange because it's such a, a behemoth for enterprise level clients. I'm like, why are you paying for Salesforce? Um, but have you actually, do you have an opinion on that in terms of using Salesforce versus other CRMs for smaller centers? You know, Salesforce, you know, is, is a great, is an absolutely great CRM. You know, I've used it, you know, you know, for, uh, I don't know, for a long time because I've used it in several other industries as well. Um, you know, it's definitely a very good, you know, tool and source, but it can be very expensive. Um, you know, so for smaller call cent, you know, smaller centers, it may not be ideal. I do think they let you have up to like, you know, six, five or six users for free. So, you know, if you're really small and starting out, you know, that's a good platform. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a solid CRM, they're definitely one of the best. Um, but, you know, you also have a couple different options. You know, some companies like to use, you know, separate, C you know, CMR and a, a separate DMR. Um, but there are programs out there as well, too, like, you know, Best Notes and um, Sigmund and so forth, you know, that, you know, have the capabilities of doing both. So some companies might prefer to have one that's, you know, mixed together. 
um, where others, you know, might prefer to, you know, use Salesforce in combination, you know, with Kipu or, or Zen Charts or something, you know, to that. And both work, you know, very effectively. It's just, you know, again, making sure that, you know, you have the right uh, policies and procedures set in place and that, you know, if your systems aren't connected, you know, that you at least have a way to make sure that the information is being, you know, transferred, you know, correctly from one system to the other. So. Um, you also mentioned uh, kind of a lot of calls coming in and transferring between reps and things like that. You know, is there a recommendation you have on a particular setup? Uh, so if you have two or three calls coming in at the same time, like who gets those calls? How are they handled? Do you round robin it or what's your advice? Uh, typically, I don't do round robin. You know, I, I usually make sure that all the reps, you know, are, you know, on the phone are doing a good job and, you know, problem with round robin is, you know, let's say it rings person one and they're not available, you know, for, you know, for ring or two, then it rings to the second person and they're not available, then it rings to the third person, you know, and, you know, the person sitting on the phone, you know, after too many rings. I mean, any call should be picked up, you know, within a minimal of three rings. Um, I personally think it's best just to have it ring, you know, um, every single rep that's, you know, available. Um, but at the same time, because of that, um, I, you know, don't usually let reps, you know, um, have the ability to, you know, switch calls. You know, what you want to avoid is, you know, a rep who's on a call that they may think is not going anywhere. They see a new call, you know, coming in. So they want to quickly get rid of the person on their phone and answer the new call. Um, so you want to avoid that by making sure that, you know, that it's, you know, your ring groups are set up not to ring people that are currently on the phone. So that way they don't really have that option. Um, but it, you know, it rings everybody that is available and, you know, and, and first come first serve to, to pick it up. So sure. usually how I do it. Right. Okay. Well, I think that was all amazing advice for everyone. And you clearly have a lot of experience in the field and I hope that our listeners got a lot out of it. Uh, if someone's looking to reach out to you, uh, how would they be able to do that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, for questions or advice or, you know, uh, you know, I'm pretty much available, you know, for, uh, you know, if anybody wants, um, you can reach me, uh, you know, on uh, LinkedIn under my name, you know, Char Nusello, C-H-A-R-N-U-S-I-L-L-O. Uh, my cell, I'm always available on my cell, 321-624-8095. Um, or you can reach me on my company email address, which is char at magnolianchrecovery.com. Um, you know, that's the place that I'm, you know, currently working with and, you know, I'm feeling very good and about representing them. I've just been absolutely so impressed, you know, with the company so far. Um, it's, you know, why I've, uh, you know, decided to, take that position been with them about a month or so and just, you know, absolutely, uh, you know, really impressed. So really good company, but uh, I'm pretty much, uh, you know, reachable. If anybody has any questions, um, you know, just want some friendly advice, you know, or, or they want to do some networking, you know, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Well, thanks. I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, the, you know, Magnolia Ranch sounds awesome. I'm going to be in Tennessee in July, August. I think I got to meet out there with foundations. So maybe I'll have to swing by and check it out. <laughs> Sounds good. Let me know. We'll uh, we'll set you up a tour. You'll love it. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. They got a hundred and something acres. You know, from the front gate up to the house, it's about a twenty minute, you know, fifteen minute drive or so. Um, just through some gorgeous scenery. Um, they have you know the best equine therapy program that I've seen. Uh, Seventeen majestic mag- you know, courses. You know, several of those are, are Clydesdales. Um, so I mean, it's um, a lot of companies do you know equine therapy programs, but that's really their um, their core program um, or their their flagship program. You know, so. Um, it's very good. It's also a really good place for anybody that, you know, wants to get out of the Florida shuffle. If you have somebody that's having a high MA rate or, you know, just needs a place that's more secluded, you know, when you're in the middle of nowhere with no cell reception, you know, uh, you typically have a little bit less AMA rate. <laughs> so they keep <laughs> sure. people more focused. Right. Plus you don't have, you know, people, we don't have the issue of people smuggling in, you know, drugs or getting you know drugs from outside meetings and so forth, you know, that I've had with some of the smaller treatment centers, you know, especially in the, in the South Florida area, you know, so there's, 
there's definitely some pros and cons, you know, with different types of facilities, but, um, you know, for somebody, you know, who has a client that, you know, really needs to be secluded, um, you know, or, you know, just, you know, really going to be focused, um, um, you know, it's definitely an excellent clinical program that uh, I can, I feel very good about strongly recommending. So. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate the time, Jar, and our, to our listeners as well. Thank you very much for joining us again. This is a Recovery Executive Podcast brought to you by Sickle Social Inc., experts in growth marketing for addiction behavioral health. You can download our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and basically anywhere where podcasts are found. So thank you guys so much, and everyone have a wonderful day.